This morning, we are going to hear from God's Word in Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the religious leaders, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is better on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed or grieved at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So over the last year or so, the kids and I have been working on a manuscript Bible study in the book of Mark. A manuscript-style study is when you print out passages or a book of scripture and you get rid of all of the titles. And ideally, we still have the chapter and verse numbers. We can get rid of those too, and you grab some highlighters, colored pencils, and markers, and you mark it up. You're looking as reporters into the text. Who, what, where, when, repetition, contrast. You're trying to dig out what's here. And then after spending a lot of time in observation, you move into why is this here and then into application. It's lots of fun, and we've been learning a lot and doing it together. After the first five chapters of Mark, I took some time to review with the kids. What have we seen so far? And Sarah's immediate observation was authority. Yes, you can't begin reading the book of Mark without seeing that Mark is trying to point out that Jesus has authority. He calls the disciples, and they immediately leave what they're doing and come to him. He teaches in the synagogue, and the people are amazed that he teaches as one who has authority, not as one of their religious leaders. That same day in the synagogue, he heals a man delivered from an evil spirit. He has authority over demons. Before chapter 1 ends... He, or no, later on, he heals Simon's mother-in-law and a leper and many other people who are brought to him, showing his authority over sickness. And then after today's passage, he heal, calms a storm, showing his authority over the weather. And when he heals a paralytic, he shows his authority even to forgive sins. Jesus comes on the scene, and he is displaying amazing authority. And the people are responding, what is this? This is something new. They're amazed. They're crowding around him. They want to hear and see more. But not everyone is amazed at Jesus' authority. As Rachel was quick to point out, there's a clash. It seems like Jesus is going around doing all these neat things and that the religious leaders are going around telling him why he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And he keeps telling them why it's okay that he is doing what he's doing. The existing authority doesn't like what Jesus is doing. When Jesus tells the paralytic his sins are forgiven, what does they say? Blasphemy. When the people don't, sorry, when Jesus 
when sorry When Jesus' disciples are eating with tax collectors and sinners, how do the, the Pharisees respond? You guys know this. What is it? Why are you doing it? How about when Jesus' disciples go to the grain fields and they start eating grain on the Sabbath? Right, that's unlawful. You shouldn't be doing that. How about when they aren't fasting? They should be fasting. Everything Jesus is doing, the Pharisees are looking at him going, you're doing things different, and it's not right, and we want to know why. They're taking issue with Jesus. And it happens again in our text today. It's a Sabbath day in Capernaum, and Jesus, as is his pattern, is in the synagogue with his disciples. And there's a man there with a shriveled-up hand. And the Pharisees are watching Jesus closely. He hasn't been following their rules. What is he going to do? They think it's a sin to heal on the Sabbath because it's doing work and breaking God's commands. Well, Jesus could wait until sundown and just tell the man to come back later. Jesus could call him around the corner and do his thing in secret, but he doesn't want to hide his ministry. And so he boldly tells the man to come forward because he wants to teach the Pharisees, and others, a lesson about this holy day of Shabbat. And so he asked them, looking at this man with this shriveled up hand, is it lawful to do that which is good or evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? And he isn't intending for it to be a rhetorical question, although the answer is clear. But these leaders keep silent. They know what their answer should be because they know their God. They serve a God of life, but they have become so thoroughly entangled with their rules and traditions that they see these rules more than they see their God. As one commentator puts it, they're like ill-trained piano students that it, learn to play all the right notes but don't know how to make music. Or like a dancer, you watch Sarah dance all the time, but what if she spent the whole time watching every step, but never cutting loose to dance. Now their God is right in front of them, asking, what is right in this situation? What would your God say and what would your God do? Would your God of mercy and all compassion, abounding in love, save or kill, destroy, do good or evil? Would he have mercy on this man and be pleased with his healing? The answer's clear. See some nods. But these leaders are silent. And Jesus is angry. He's deeply distressed, grieved at their hardness of hearts, their callousness, their stubbornness and dull perception. These are the men who are supposed to be representing him, expecting him, ready to worship and proclaim him to the world, and he's here. And they're being stubborn and rejecting him because he doesn't fit their rules and their expectations. And Jesus is grieved. He then completely heals the man with the withered hand, 
And the Pharisees, rather than rejoicing and amazement, go out, consort with the Herodians, who are usually their enemies, and begin making plans for how they can murder him. And it's easy to sit in judgment on these Pharisees. I mean, how can they be so dull, so mean, so uncaring? Jesus is to heal the man, and they're combative rather than rejoicing. Yet, we should be slow to exercise too much judgment on these Pharisees because if we look closely at our own hearts, we may find that we have some of that religious stubbornness of our own. Over time, a worship service has come to mean a certain set of things and ought to be done a certain way. It must include this and that and not this other thing or that other thing. We're quite comfortable to come in, receive a blessing, sing some songs, hear a sermon, pray, receive another blessing, and leave. Our expectations are met. When our expectations aren't met, when something's missing or something new gets thrown in, something inside us can get a little rattled or squeamish, and our posture can quickly switch from this to this. I think we sometimes forget that when we come together on a Sunday morning, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And it's about his authority and his agenda for the morning. When we gather together each week, Jesus, through his spirit, is in our midst. Before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, I will be with you to the very end of the age. For two or three are gathered in my name, I am there also. And when Jesus prayed for the disciples to come, he said, Father, I will make you known to them and will continue to make you known to them so that the love that you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Jesus himself in us. Jesus present here with us. Not a muted, overly polite, controlled Jesus, but Jesus, God Almighty, in us, with us, here, when we gather together every Sunday morning. When we come together, Jesus is present, and he desires to work, to minister, to heal, to save, to bring his kingdom in all of its fullness. Jesus with all authority, power, beauty, healing, I mean, just goodness upon goodness upon goodness poured out. It should never be just same old humdrum, come get what I want and go at a Sunday morning worship service. And yet, in order for us to experience Jesus' ministry, we face some dynamics, and they're the same dynamics that People faced the first time Jesus came. And to help us enter into the tension of that dynamic, I want to show a clip from a series called The Chosen, which some of you may have seen. It's a series about the life and ministry of Jesus. And this is a scene where two Pharisees are trying to figure out what to do when Jesus and John the Baptist are on the scene. Uh, tired. 
Comfort my people, says our. Look further back, you right. Our voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Mm. And who does that sound like? The heretic John. And what heresy do you find in those words, being that Isaiah said? The heresy is that John has appropriated Isaiah's words by taking a spiritual description of God in heaven and applying it to John's physical successor on earth. Successor? John said, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And? God has no body, he cannot wear sandals. God cannot take human form, to say so is blasphemy. And where does it say that God cannot take human form? In the scroll of Deuteronomy. You saw no face the day Adonai spoke to you at one. Just because they saw no form doesn't mean God cannot take one. In Exodus, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. This person would have to walk around with his face covered. So you would place limits of the Almighty? None that are not written in law. And if God did something that you felt contradicted the Torah, would you tell him to get back in that box that you would call for him? Or would you question your interpretation of the Torah? When I was a student, I broke off your sayings. I had every right you want. Your teachings were so sturdy, so reasoned and pure. We are still students, you know. All of us. Our understanding will never be complete. It frightens me that I can no longer predict your rulings. And fear alone ensures we remain ignorant. Asleep in the safety of ancient tradition. Take the scientists. They take the first five books, the law of Moses, as inspired scripture. The rest, they disregard. To them, God stops speaking when Moses died. Think of all they have missed. The Psalms of David, the stories of Ruth and Boaz, Esther and Mordecai. I don't want to live in some bleak past where God cannot do anything new. Do you? Is that your concern? God gave us his love. We must uphold. We can do both. Let's look to the ancient roads where the good way is and walk in it, as Jeremiah said. And still keep our eyes open to the startling and the unexpected. Can we agree on that? Yes. So as we see in that video and in the text this morning, at Jesus' first coming, People had to grapple with the reality that God wasn't doing what they expected him to do, and he didn't fit their interpretation of how God should act. They had to wrestle through this tension, holding tight to Scripture and what was true, but also holding tight to humility that is open to maybe having interpreted it wrong or maybe 
being tied too tight to what's been done all along and maybe not wanting to let go of tradition when God wants to do something different. And we have to do the same thing. We have to hold on to this tension. Scripture is filled with examples of the Holy Spirit encountering people, and it's never ordinary. A couple conceiving a child when they're way past menopause. Mysterious food falling from the sky and feeding the Israelites month after month, day after day. An unarmed shepherd boy killing a giant warrior with a stone. A prophet being told to marry a prostitute and another being told or being swallowed by a whale and another dumping buckets of water over an altar that he wants God to light on fire. An army told to march around a city blaring trumpets rather than attack the city walls. A virgin conceiving a child. God becoming a man to die for the sins of his people. Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Scripture is filled with surprises. It's not a book of the ordinary. Yet, when we've heard these stories time after time, they can start to feel ordinary, and we forget how unordinary and unexpected things become when God interacts with his people. Scripture and the history of revivals teach us that when Almighty God interacts with humanity, events usually don't go as expected, as we've talked about, expect the unexpected. Things can get messy. And people are stretched. And in today's text, we see a man get healed. Some people respond with amazement and want to follow Jesus. And others go and want to kill him. When Pentecost happened, the disciples are having a prayer meeting. Tongues of fire fall down. There's a roaring sound that draws a crowd, and the disciples start speaking in all kinds of languages they don't know. Many people are amazed, and others are going around saying they're drunk. At Gold, there has been so much flexibility in the welcoming of new things, and it has been such a gift to grow together as We have welcomed the ministry and work of Jesus when it sometimes isn't what we expect. And for some of us, the welcoming of some of these new things hasn't been easy because we've been stretched and challenged. And Jesus wants to show himself to us through his spirit in this age to our congregation So that through us, he can show himself to the world. And that may mean, and I can confidently say it will mean, some surprises, some more surprises, and some discomfort. What if, after the sermon today, Jesus decides to lead us in a congregational discussion, like they did in the synagogue Or what if he encourages some crazy loud singing or really exuberant dancing? Like what happened to David when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? What if he leads one, two, ten people to go into one of the wings and just silently pray in fervent prayer the whole time we're having a worship service? What if 
he interrupts the sermon by guiding us into a healing for a member of the church or a visitor or even a healing service. Today's text isn't the only time that Jesus healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Another time, there was a woman there who was bound, bent over with an evil spirit and had been that way for 18 years. Jesus interrupted his teaching to heal her. You'd think after 18 years he could just wait another 20 minutes, finish off his sermon, and then go into the healing. But that woman was more important at that moment, and that healing spoke just as much, if not more, about the kingdom of God. What if, and this one gets a little personal to me, we're led in a song with music that is a style that's harder for us to relate to, but yet a song through which Jesus wants to minister. What if Jesus gives us new songs, as he did through Derek last week, and he's he's done before? What if he encourages us to come and break into small groups just to spend the whole hour or two encouraging each other? What if... He calls us out to go have a meal together or go out prayer walking on a Sunday morning. What if he wants to draw our attention to and minister through the little ones and even welcome their crying, even if they interrupt things? After all, during his first coming, he told the little kids to come to him, and I'm sure at times they were disrupted, and he got interrupted in his prayers and his teaching, and yet he welcomed them. And he blessed them. And even last week, we were having a heaviness, just a lot of hard things. And in the time of our congregational prayer, there were two screaming babies. And I thought, I don't know that this is a distraction. I think they're giving voice to what a lot of people's hearts are experiencing. But we can't receive it if we're not open to it. What if he calls us into just two or more hours of ongoing praise and worship? What if he guides us into a service where we spend the whole time simply reading scripture after scripture after scripture? What if he inspires a long testimony that doesn't leave time for anything else? What if he brings in someone who's dirty and stinky or maybe really dressed up and perfumed, but eccentric and hard to interact with, and he calls us to interrupt the service, to minister and bring his life to this person. What if the things that happen on a Sunday morning in worship are a little eccentric, a little strange? I'm sure that's the way it was for Jesus at times. And I doubt the man who came to the synagogue with a withered hand that day expected that he was going to leave healed. What if? And the answer to that what if is dependent on our response. When we welcome, hunger for, and allow Jesus to, in his authority, lead his church, Scripture shows us what we can expect. We can expect God's kingdom advancing among us. 
We can expect his love meeting people. We can expect lives changed in power. We can expect people coming to Jesus, flocking to Jesus, following him and growing in him. And this morning, Jesus invites us to continue to welcome him in all the good that he has for us. He knows the answer to his question. It is better to do good. It is better to save lives. And Jesus is present week after week to bring his life. And as we grow in welcoming him, he will, he will display in increasing measure his goodness, his power, the fullness and the presence of his kingdom because he told us that we would do even greater things. And if we want to reach our families, communities, this neighborhood, and the world with his love, we need his presence. We need his work in our midst. And he desires to do much, much more than we would ever expect or imagine. So please join me in putting out your hands as a sign of welcome, if you're willing to, as we pray to welcome Jesus in our midst. Our Father, we thank you that you have good things for us. We thank you that you are a God who heals, who restores, who sees us, who meets us. We thank you that you're a God who doesn't do what's expected. Most of our lives are testimony to your goodness and things not going the way they would have gone if you hadn't intervened. And God, we welcome you to work among us in increasing measure. We long to see your glory. We long to experience your power, you in us. And we long to see our neighborhoods and this world changed by your love. And so come, Lord Jesus, fill us and show us the greater things that you have for us. Amen.